This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Well, I'm a snotty mess already because of that worship. My goodness. That kind of worship's dangerous because I start saying, Lord, do you want me to just abandon everything I planned and, you know, let's just keep pressing into this and that's... That's exactly where I'll live and where I'll stay, and it's exactly why Overland Missions uh, is being given the, the stewardship that we have in the nations is because of, of that heart and that mentality and that posture. Um, media team, we're going to pause on the video for right now, so don't worry about running that. We'll run that at some point, um, but I just, I want to be, I want to be sensitive to what the Lord's doing and saying. Um, how many of you know that... To, to quote the words of Keith Green from years ago, to obey is better than sacrifice. And how critical it is for us to be in a posture where we're so love struck by him and we're so available to him, but when he speaks, we move. Um, the only thing, the only critique I bring to some of these songs uh, in our day and age is that sometimes it still puts the precedent upon God to move. And the reality is he's, he's become a movement in us and then he asks us to move. Um, and I just, I love that resonance right now that's happening all across the United States with this Asbury Revival and I mean so many other college campuses that aren't getting the PR and you know the, the gathering of 75 or so that you guys are seeing right now here in this region but the Lord's always up to something, but I feel like right now people are responding. <laughs> the significance isn't that God's on the move. God's always on the move. His word is his word. His spirit is his spirit. It's just people are laying hold of his word and are coming to a place of surrender and are coming to a place of agreement with his heart. And that's when things begin to shake. I just, I always get pulled back to Isaiah 66, verse 1 and 2, where the Lord says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me, and what is the place of my rest? And it goes on to say, All these things my hand have made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. You know, and sometimes those verses are important for us to sit back and recognize, okay, we get really excited about things that are actually, you know, uh, you don't ever want to call them small, but in the light of God and his sovereignty and his majesty, you know, when, when heaven is your throne and the earth is your footstool, you have a different vantage point, a different periphery, different perspective that, 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 that we um, mere humans enjoy at times but the beautiful thing about humanity and the beautiful thing about the kingdom is he calls us to come up we don't have to live in the periphery of humanity we don't have to live in the perspective of 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 the world system any longer he's actually invited us it's like the revelation you know invitation to paul you know come up here um and, and, or John, sorry, and, and, and let me show you, you know, this, this, this perspective from a heavenly place. And what he goes on to say is, but this is the one to whom I will look upon. In verse 2 of Isaiah 66, but this is the one to whom I will look upon. He who is humble and contrite or broken in spirit and trembles at my word. And I think the, the revolution, the Jesus revolution that we're, that, we're, that we're in the midst of right now is a generation of people that will not only be humble and contrite before him, because there's a beauty about humility and contrition, humility and brokenness, but if there's only humility and brokenness without a trembling at the word of God, it will actually be void of his move. And if there's a trembling before the word of God and yet there's not that humility and contrition, there's not that, there's not that, that 
that offering before the Lord, I mean, that song we just sang about, you know, being this free will offering, I will be your offering, I'll live on the altar. It's so powerful, but if we learn that we can live on the altar and at the same time tremble at his word, and at trembling at his word, we can live in a realm of faith, and a realm of posture that defies what the system of the world says. You see, we get the opportunity to live on the altar of sacrifice, to live on the altar before the Lord and to say every day, I'm totally and utterly yours. And yet at the same, in the same miraculous moment, be inspired to understand that no longer are we utterly broken, fractured, sinful, disgusting worms, but we're actually saints of the most high God. On that altar where the fire of God hits us, we get to posture ourselves by faith according to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, where it talks about us presenting ourselves as those who are in fact holy and acceptable before him. We don't have to come to the altar and say, God, I just pray that today you would love me. God, I pray that today you would accept me. I just hope it's in your heart to, to consider this offering, and I hope it's acceptable enough that we get to live out of the reality that there has been an offering. His name was Jesus, and his name is Jesus, and he was accepted 2,000 years ago, and he presented himself on your behalf so that you stand today not not leaning on your work, not leaning on your merit, not leaning on how well or how much you've prayed or how well or how much you've memorized the scriptures. Or You're leaning on the finished work of Jesus Christ. When he said, it is finished, there's a reason all of created order shook. There's a reason that the temple veil was torn from top to bottom because Father was finally able to rend that thing and have access to his created people again. Jesus did the work. And if we don't learn to tremble at the work he's completed and in our presentation, let it bear upon us. Do you realize that Romans chapter 12 says that the only spiritual act of worship that becomes recognized is one that is postured in the posture of faith. We come in and we want to sing songs and, and, and we want to get emotional before God, but if you don't believe his word... If you're not willing to walk past those things that have identified you with the world system and, and, the, and the victimized cards that we carry and hold and sometimes treasure, we love being a victim. We love having that as an identity. When you come to Jesus Christ, you can't be a victim anymore. When you come to Jesus Christ, those things that identified you with sin and sickness and disease and, and all of the mess that gets thrown on us, it's not ours anymore. And we get to present ourselves in a way to say, Father, I thank you that I present myself as one who has been set apart, one who is no longer identified as the world identifies, one who is accepted by you and I live in jubilation every day in the joy of the Lord knowing you love me. You're for me and you're not against me and I present myself this way in opposition of every devil and every system of hell that tells me otherwise. And suddenly the Father says, a spiritual act of worship. That's, that's an offering I can light with the fire of, you know, with his fire. That's what he looks at that and he, and he leans into that. Some of my biggest frustration in this day and age is so often you either have one or the other. You either have the camp that's pursuing humility and contrition to be lovers of God, or you have the camp that's pursuing this new creation, radical identity, and yet sometimes when you get in that vein with, with new creation identity, there's this arrogance that comes on people. Like, where did that come from? As if you earned any of it. As if in, in your amazingness, you accumulated this greatness so that God finally let you in. But when these streams come together and we, when we recognize that we can live out of a place of desperation and yearning for his presence and longing for all that he is and yet knowing we have total and utter access, it's, it's, a, it's a conundrum because why, why have desperation if you know you can have access? And it's all, about, it's all about a yearning and a desperation for the presence of God and just, and, and just it's that weird place where you go, I have all of him and I somehow just want more and more. You know, it's, I, I, I just, I can't get enough. I, I'm, I'm, I'm totally and utterly given over, Lord Jesus, but, but we have to get our faith, and, and even the word faith confession, it's accurate, but it goes beyond confession because a, a legitimate faith confession propels us into action. 
So if we're not living any differently, because you have to realize, we're just talking about this this morning, this revelation of grace hits us and we realize, wait a minute, because of the grace of God, because of his grace, I've been set apart. Because of his grace, I've been given an inheritance that is pure and undefiled and, 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 and stored and kept in heaven for me. But because of his grace, I've been given, I've been activated with the fullness of God to be the expression of God on the earth. And grace, if it doesn't come along with holiness, is not authentic. If grace doesn't demand and require and, and, and release an expression of holiness unto the Lord, it's not actual grace. What I loved about the Asbury Revival is transcribed over their worship day in and day out was one thing. If you, if you watched any of, the, any of the, the service, it says holiness unto the Lord. And revivals of, of, of old and, and of our day and age are always marked with repentance, with holiness, with, with a transaction that, that creates transformation in the life of the believer. And I love that we get to stand as a symbol of, what he's, of who he is and what he's going to do in every life. As we stand before them and say, look what the Lord has done in me. Look at the way he's changed me. We used to sing an old, an old gospel song at the, uh, the campus that I grew up in. West Virginia Wesleyan is where I went to college. And it, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He changed my mind. He saved me. It was just in time. But I love that idea that we get to actually be the expression of his transformation. We're not just saying, he's great, don't look at me, I'm just an evil sinner, which you hear from the stage too often. People saying, in this weird, false humility thing, will never look to me, look to Jesus. But wait a minute, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul had a revelation that no longer was it he who lived, but Christ that lived within him. Paul had a revelation, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives within me in the life I now live in this body. I live by faith. And the Son of God. And the question is, when are we going to lay hold of this thing to the point where it actually brings transformation in us and then God uses us as agents to transform the earth? It's the book of Acts. It's, it's Jesus in his resurrected form standing before you know, his disciples, which, by the way, all of which had just catastrophically failed him. Right? He wasn't coming to them at their time of greatest, like, triumph. He was coming to them when they had all abandoned him at the cross. He was coming to them when they, had all, when they were all carrying guilt and shame for their, for their lack of allegiance to, to the lamb that was slain. And he appears before them and they see him in his resurrected form and they're like, we get it. We realize 100%. If we were convinced before, we're utterly convinced now. You are the king of kings and you're the Lord of lords. There's no one like you. And what do they ask him? When are you going to come fix all this? Is now the time, right? I mean, that's what they ask him. Is now the time that you're going to come and fulfill all the promises to Israel? And Jesus initially, you know, starts out by saying, well, it, it's not for you to know the times and seasons set apart by my father. But then his response is unbelievable. It's unthinkable. It's illogical. What does he say to him? But you. And I think in many ways, we come to church and we sit in our seat and we praise God and we, and we worship and we, we do all of these activities. And yet at the end of the day, we have this skewed version of sovereignty where we say, God, when are you going to come and perform your word? God, when are you going to come and perform your work? God, when are you? And, and Father's saying, wait a minute, you've totally missed the entirety <laughs> of my promise and my appeal to you. You are my ambassador. I'm not coming to do your work. That's what Father said to the, to the disciples on that day. It's what Jesus said to the disciples. Hey, but you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, will be my witnesses. Here, there, and all over the earth. And it changed everything because suddenly you had this group of, of people coming together and saying, Father God, pour your spirit upon us so that we can actually be the expression of your love. Be the expression of your power. Be the expression of your greatness. Be the expression of your mercy. Be the expression of your justice, your tenderness on the earth. And a group of people suddenly believe in God and he gives the gift that he promised because he always 
follows through on his word, trembling at his word, and when that gift was given, the world was turned upside down, is what the Bible says. 2,000 years ago, it's his same, it is his same strategy. He's just looking for people simple enough to say, I believe your word, and I believe that I have been positioned in this place to be your conduit. And I'm not going to bring in all of my mess and all of my junk and all of my, you know, uh, 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 all of my baggage into this. You've set me free. You've established me as yours. But I am in a position and posture myself in a place of hunger and a place of desperation and saying, Father God, if this is your word, it must be expressed in my life. It must be expressed. And if this is your word, this nation, this community here must see and know that you are good. Must see and know your power. Must see and know all that you are. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm so, I've been so humbled over this last year specifically as our team, Overland Missions, has been given a privileged stewardship uh, of some of the most exciting things that Africa's ever seen regarding the gospel and saturation and reaching the unreached and neglected. We've always, Overland Missions has always given ourselves to the unreached, always given ourselves not necessarily to the great crowds, but to the one. That was always our, our philosophy. It was always our, our focus and our aim. And how beautiful that in giving ourselves to that time and time again, God suddenly gives us you know, nations as a whole. One of the things that I've always preached on is until you can look at one individual and sow into them and believe God for them as if they represent the entire nation, you'll never get the nation. Until you can see in one person, you know, if you, if you come across one person from Zambia and say, I'm gonna pursue you and love you and, and, and pour into you as if you are Zambia as a whole then you haven't understood the thing that unlocks nations. It's one. It's the one. It's always been that way. And God, over the, over the centuries, you know, has, has revealed it time and again, the, the Gideon and his army and him just paring those troops down more and more and more until it's like, this is now an impossible victory for us. And he's saying, exactly. Now let's go. And I just, I love what I sense that the Lord's doing here. And, I, and I, I hope I didn't come off critical at the beginning there. I was saying, man, I, f- I felt that resonance. I feel what you're pressing into. I recognize that there's an authenticity to your pursuit of God. There's an authenticity to what you're believing God for. There, there's an authenticity to your worship and your praise. And when it's authentic, it just lifts. There, it, it's, it's the anointing. It's, it's, it's what they're experiencing in Asbury that they're going, what is that lift? It's that other than thing. It's that there's something else in the atmosphere. No, that's, that's revival is the presence of God. And we actually don't have to go running after it everywhere it lands. It's great if we can jump in and, and enjoy it with others. But when you understand you're the carrier, you are revival. That he's positioned it in you and that the expectation on your life is to not only live in it for yourself, but to charge the atmosphere everywhere you go. And then you start to understand why people like Charles Finney would walk into a, you know, a, 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 a modern day Walmart and the whole place would begin weeping and repenting and crying out to God that there's something in God, there's a place in God that we can come into in authenticity and humility and brokenness, but in faith that has authority over the atmosphere of the day, that has authority over the mindset of the day. And you can come in so saturated with Jesus that even without words, there's a, there's a presence that you carry. And it will come with words. Make no mistake about that. You will use your words. You will declare the word of the Lord. But is anyone hungry and desperate for that place? I just think we've, we've satisfied ourselves with so little you know, Jesus has, has made this banqueting table for us. I believe Oswald Chambers said something to this effect as well, even A.W. Tozer. You know, we, we sit at this banqueting table and we're so, we're, we're willing to, um, to, to settle for crumbs on the floor. 
And I think we're, we're, we're coming up to, a, to a, 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 a beautiful time where people are just, they're tired of settling for crumbs when they know what God has laid out before them. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This table that's prepared, this, this incredible invitation where Father says, come, come. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This ability to live out of his rest, and then what is produced out of that supernatural environment is unbelievable. So much of, of, of my testimony and my story kind of comes out of that, and you know, it's, it's, hard. it's hard sometimes to know exactly what to share and what not to share, and you want to give a little background here and a little background there, but ultimately, you know, I was raised in an amazing Christian home, amazing, beautiful Christian parents, got to my high school years and decided I want to I wanna enjoy sin. You know, I, I'm going to run after, I'm going to still run after God. Anyone ever tried that? I'm still going to run after God. Don't worry, God. I won't forget you, but I'm also going to enjoy what I want to enjoy. It's an impossibility. It's like saying, I'm, I'm planted here, and I'm going to make my way to Florida and to California at the same time. It just, it can't happen. You got to choose one way or the other. And that's, you know, that's clear throughout all the scriptures. You can't, you can never have both. You can never grow in grace and faith and, and pursue sin. Sin destroys faith. It violates everything that God stands for. And that was my high school years, was me trying to figure out how to have as much of both as possible. And it landed me my senior year in a place of total desperation and uh, heart sickness. And I hated who I was. I was achieving all that the world told me to achieve. I was, you know, a, a, a top level uh, collegiate uh, recruit and um, was the valedictorian of my class and, and a likable guy and all those things, and I absolutely hated who I was. I'd look in the mirror and think to myself, how on earth did you turn out this way, Jake? And it's because sin leads to death. And I could not create joy. I could not create peace. I couldn't do it. And uh, just came to an ultimate day of me coming to the end of myself and laying on my carpet before the Lord and crying out and doing one of those prodigal, you know, would you have me back, Lord? Not on my terms anymore. I'll come to you on your terms, but would you take me back? And I was so full of shame and guilt that, and, and it's amazing how sin distorts our understanding of God. I knew God was love, but in that moment, God was anger. He was hatred. He was after me and wanted to kill me. That's all I knew. That's all I, I was just filled with, with even just a, a, a a totally illegitimate revelation of who he was. And in that place, the presence of God entered my room and I was terrified. I trembled. I thought, he's going to kill me. That's why he's here. I recognized his presence, but I was totally confused. It was a little bit like Jacob, you know, uh, and funny that my name is Jacob, but Jacob wrestling with God, you know, you will bless me. What do you think father showed up to do? Him walking away with the limp, not saying, yeah, I got the blessing of God going. I learned my lesson. I was like Jacob in that moment saying, God, would you just bring me back and would you love me? I'll do anything. I'll give anything. Father shows up in the room and I start to tremble thinking, oh, I'm done for. And the only thing he spoke to me was this, Jacob, I still love you. And in that moment, every contrary voice was quieted. And I, I had peace. I had joy. All the trophies, all the accumulated things that I had worked towards in those high school years, they just, they disappeared. And suddenly I realized, this is everything I will ever need. And it's everything I'm willing to give my life towards. And as a 17-year-old, made a radical 180-degree turn and laid everything down at the altar and just said, Lord, what would you have me do? And um, almost 22 years later, here we are. Still radical for Jesus, still living in the presence of God, still completely and utterly amazed that he took a broken and battered individual and in a moment gave me resurrection life, called me by a new name, 
No longer identified me as sinner, but identifies me as saint of the Most High God, as one who actually is a carrier of the presence of God. Are you getting this, church? When this, when this hits us, when we recognize this, it changes everything. And over the years, being able to follow the Lord and pursue him wholeheartedly and recognize that the same thing he taught me in those years is the same thing that I'm now aware of in the people that I come across. And it's this, it's this issue of humility and honor. When we understand the way that the King of Kings has honored us, it changes our worldview, it changes our understanding, it changes our, 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 our philosophy of life, and it, it postures and positions us to be able to esteem others the way he esteems them. And when you begin to walk in true godly honor, when you begin to look at mankind and estimate man based upon his estimation and not, and not worldly, you know, uh, fleshly estimation, it changes everything. When I was able to sit down in an in a African village for the first time and sit amidst a group of people that the world esteems as the lowliest and dealt the worst hand and not able to change or shake anything because they don't have the finance and they don't have the education and they don't have and they don't have and they don't have and they don't have and that's all the world has put over them is you don't have, you lack. What does that produce? A, a group of people that say we don't have and we lack. Therefore, please give because we have no other way. But when you can sit and look at a people having been transformed and say, I absolutely refuse to see you as the rest of the world has seen you. I absolutely refuse and I come against and I cast down that system that has placed this burden on you. You are loved by God. You are redeemed by God. You're established by God. The same, the same spirit that has given resurrection life to me is the same spirit available to you and all of the promises of God are available to you and have their yes and amen through Jesus Christ. And when you can, when you can convey that to a group of people and, and you see the light come upon their face and the, and the twinkle in their eye and then rise up to a new revelation and a new reality based upon his word and not man's experience, what man sees. And you watch as weeks and months and years transpire and these individuals rise up and do some of the most incredible things that the earth has seen and you recognize his word is true. It just, it, it puts this thing in you where you go, Lord, just put me, in, uh, put me in front of as many people as you can and it'll be my privilege to show honor. When you recognize for, for many years how, how much missions has even dropped the ball. Missionaries showing up to poor remote villages and bringing a, a goat and saying, you know, I'm here to, to alleviate your suffering somehow as my duty to show you honor. And all you're doing is reinforcing the fact that you lack, you don't have, and I'm sorry for that. I have no answers for you. But when you can sit across the room from people or sit in the midst of you know, their, their little team huddle, whatever that looks like, and convey the life and the, and the invitation, the same one that we received, and you begin to recognize, wait a minute, I was set on this earth for this stewardship. It's the same thing Paul talked about when he says we're to be regarded as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery. Why are we set as stewards of the mystery? Because it's not a mystery any longer. Praise God. I spent so much time in college singing about God shrouded in mystery and it's all a mystery in these songs. And I'm like, eventually I realized, what is going on? It's not a mystery anymore. The mystery has been revealed. The mystery that the kings and prophets of old longed to gaze into. Paul says in Colossians 1.27, it's no longer a mystery. It's Christ in us, the hope of our glory. It's been revealed. And yet it's not just to be revealed in word. It's meant to be expressed in our lives. The demand, the grace of God has been given to us so it can become the very expression of the mystery. But that, that, that confronts things right away in us because we say, oh, geez, I mean, the, the expression of the mystery of God, the expression of Christ in me, I mean, that would require some massive thing. Yes, it does. It costs it cost Jesus everything. He laid his life down so that you could not just be a recipient in, in theological context, a, a recipient in theory, so that you could be one that manifests his presence to the earth. That's what's available. And this hungering and thirsty is made available for those who have this thing in them going, what if that's true? 
And how do I give myself to this in measures that will actually confront the strongholds in my life that are not allowing the expression of God? And what if I just come before him on that altar and he smashes it all and releases me across the earth to be his expression to the earth? How exciting. I mean, is there anything better? There is not. There's nothing greater. And this isn't a specific Peculiar call for the few. This is the call to Christianity. This is the call to Jesus Christ. This is the call to the kingdom. What I have found is that throughout my life, the closer you get to that resonance, the, the closer you begin to lean in and open your arms and posture yourselves based upon a faith presentation. Holy, I am in fact holy and I am in fact acceptable. That's when all of hell begins to unleash against your life. As long as you're okay to sit down and accept that one day I'm going to go to heaven and I'm okay with that, Jesus, the devil's not going to pick on you at all. He's going to say, you just sit right there and enjoy your insurance policy to heaven and please do not disrupt anything or make or, 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 or cash in on anything that Father has made available because if you do that, then I'm in trouble. But if you're willing to sit there and have your little insurance policy and say, I can meander through life knowing at least I get to go to heaven at the end of the day, Okay, you're never gonna know spiritual warfare and, and the resistance that the devil comes in and, and brings to you, but when once you establish yourself to say, Father God, I'm gonna be wholeheartedly available to your plan and your purpose in my life, and I'm gonna believe your word. I'm gonna tremble at your word as if it's my word, because it is your word. And you begin to feel that backlash and that push and, and, and things begin to go on, First off, do not go, well, if things got difficult, then obviously God's against it. No, listen, that's why Jesus said, as a Christian, you will suffer. <laughs> he guaranteed it. If you step into this resonance, if you step into this reality, if you step in and begin to believe God for all, there is going to be opposition in your life. And you were created to not only withstand that opposition, but to thrive in the midst of it. You were created to shine in the midst of it. You were created to be a miracle in the midst of it where people go, you just walked through what? And you're smiling? You just did what? And you're praising? You just did what? And you're still following him? And you're, you're more radical than ever? How is that possible? No, it's a supernatural thing. It's not logically understood. But if you're not standing in that representation, you're not defying anyone's poor standards of what they've set. You've been set on this earth to bear the standard of heaven. That's the standard. And, and the thing I love about Jesus is he's never gonna apologize for his standard. Never, 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 never. He's gonna call you to it. He's gonna make his demand very clear. And if you're not ready to measure, if you're not ready to believe that you measure to that standard and that you have the capacity to express it, He's going to say, well, we can talk again at another time. I love when he was with his disciples and he said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. You know, he sees that the heat's turned up and so he just brings it on all the way. Unless my life totally consumes you. Unless you're totally and utterly given to me. And then he sees the crowds go. And what does he say? He looks at his disciples and says, you can go with them. I'm not here to, 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 to make this as palatable as possible, I'm here to give my word and for those who are hungry and for those who have come to the end of themselves. And, and, and that's, that's ultimately what it's all about. The greatest gift I was given was Jesus brought me to the end of myself and then invited me to enter into his life, to his way, and it changed everything. 2015... Overland Missions, you know, and you guys have, have walked with Overland for a long time now. 2015, Overland had started this kind of momentum of growth. And suddenly, you know, we had different magazines, well-known ones here in the States that wanted to, you know, kind of really put Phil particularly at front and center, make him the Indiana Jones of the generation, and, uh, you know, do all those things because that's what happens. You market the move of God. That's how you create finance. That's how you create a movement. Um, and, and praise God that Asbury got it right and, and slowed that train down and said, wait a minute. This, these are holy matters we're dealing with. We're not going to market this. 
We're not going to leverage this to now become 10 times bigger and start building projects because they could have done it. They could have done it. The church would have got behind it. Fox News, please don't come. Just slow down. Twenty fifteen, we start to grow. A lot of people are wanting to come and film the work going on with the traditional leaders. And Phil sits with me and he says, Jake, word of the year, after he tells me we're not gonna do any of it. We're not doing any of it. I canceled everything. We're not doing it. I'm not writing the book. Well, I'm not I'm not doing it. It's it's we've never been the way God has, has grown us and led us. Here's the word of the year obscurity. <laughs> I said, Okay, let's lean into that word. I don't even know what that means. And 2015 was an unmistakable launching point where God began to give us a stewardship on a whole other level. 2016 or 2015, I was sent on a, on a small excursion into DR Congo by a chief named Chief Chipepo uh, to meet with another chief and preach the gospel. Uh, the first night I arrived after a three-day journey into the heart of Congo, a very difficult journey. Uh, my room was broken into, I was thrown in prison um, they, they assumed I was just a wealthy miner with lots of money and was willing to dole out cash to save my life. Had no idea I was a missionary with very little finance. But also had no idea I was a missionary with the resource of heaven. And within 24 hours, Emperor Mwantiamwa, one, one of the most highly regarded father figures of Africa, got me out of prison I had never met him. He had never met me. Word reached him. It was a total miracle from the Lord. But I was released the next day to trembling hands. The same hands that grabbed me and slammed me on the ground and, and roughed me up were trembling as they said, Je suis désolé, je suis très, très désolé. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Giving back our documents, let us out. And suddenly we had an emperor sitting with us saying, Why are you here and how can I help your work? Within six months, the emperor came and visited our mission base. When he came, all of Zambia shut down for his time. I didn't know, but for 25 years, they had been inviting the emperor to come and grace them. The presidents had all been saying, please come. You're in all of our history books. We'd love for you to come and just grace our nation. He refused. When we invited him, I said, hey, I don't have the finance to fly you down. If you can drive through Congo and get across the border, we can put you on a little puddle jumper. And he came. The president of Zambia calls and says, how on earth did you get the emperor to visit your base? We've been trying to get him to visit for 25 years, offered him the top packages. What did you offer him? When I told him what I did, he was so mad at me. You did what? We would have flown him down. We would have done this. I said, listen, here's the situation. Here's how it happened. But he's coming because he recognizes there's a move of God available to his people. He came for revival week where not only was he there, but all of the chiefs under him came to our mission base and they spent a week in the presence of God and the glory of God and the revival fire of God. And the emperor for the first time in the history books bowed his knee to Jesus Christ. He came to the end of himself. And what happened in 2016 was, was a, was a, it was a, it had spiritual ramification when hands were laid upon him and prophetic Utterances were released and his actions based upon his hearing of the word and his submission to the word of the Lord was released. We, we talk about it today and say you could feel the continent shaking. You could feel principalities and powers that had ruled and reigned for generations suddenly broken. And we have run for the last six years with the grace and a favor of God with the traditional leaders particularly that landed us in being able to hold this event we held last year called the King of Kings Celebration. And at that ceremony, at that celebration, at that revival, we gathered almost 300 kings and queens and traditional leaders of Africa for the first ever gathering, a gospel gathering, um, and it's unlocked the continent to us on levels that we had never dreamed of. Uh, I'll have 12 new nations that I land in this year in Africa just because of the repercussions. And some of those nations, many can't be named on social media because of the sensitivity, um, the, the domination of Islam in those nations and the fact that their top leaders are saying, come, we know what you're all about, come. Guide us in how to do this, lead us in how to do this.
And the thing that I love about it all is that when people hear about this move of God, when the kings hear about it, when the queens hear about it, um, there have been a few names attached to this movement. And, and crazy enough, my name is one of them, Pastor Jacob. So when I meet these kings and they come up and they're ready to meet Pastor Jacob, the greatest part of it is they're disappointed. <laughs> they walk up to me and there's always this moment of like looking past me and looking at me again. Like, surely this is not the man of God. Surely this is just a little emissary that's going to lead me to this, this great man of God. And, and is, that not, is that not the heart of God? But this is the one whom I will look upon. He who is humble and broken in spirit and trembles in my word. Guys, this move of God's not going to become because you finally get your, your clothing assortment right. Because you finally get the swagger down. Because you finally have figured out <clears throat> the right pitch and volume of your voice. God's looking at the heart. He's looking at those who will come to the end of themselves and pursue him for who he is. Not for what you can get out of it. My wife and I have spent 17 years nestled in Zambia, Africa. A forgotten place, a forgotten people. And we've given our lives for 17 years to a people that cannot give anything in return in terms of finance, in terms of promotion. That's a recipe for revival. And that's not me patting myself on the back. That's me saying, imitate me as I've imitated Christ. Learn from his ways and radically, radically give yourself to them. Lean into the anointing. Lean into the fire of God. Lean into that place of testing and trial. Lean in when God begins to call you and, and begins to point to those things in your life that have been immovables that you've said, God, I'll give you everything, but don't, don't touch this. Let him violate those idols in your life. Let him bring those things and trash them once and for all. And come as a free will, wholehearted offering. Put yourself on the altar and say, God, I'm here. I present myself according to your word, according to faith. As one who is a saint of the most high God. Although it's unthinkable, although it's hard to even fathom, I believe you. And on this altar and in this place of posture and presentation, I'll wait for you. But Lord God, when, you, when once you show me your heart, I'm going to run. And I'm not going to look back. One of my favorite things to tell my Zambian brothers and sisters is one day I'm going to bury my bones, you're going to bury my bones in the soil of Africa. Because it has to do with what he's called my family to. And the question is, what has he called you to? What has he called you to do based upon this unbelievable gift of grace, this gift of righteousness, this gift of, of, of the new creation in Christ Jesus? What is he calling you to do? I'm so grateful to be able to come and speak to places that are so primed and prepared. I mean, you can't worship the way we just worshiped without people already pressing into that place. You can't, you can't experience that lift, but I want to tell you, do not settle. I was reading Genesis the other day, and I, I, it was the first time I caught it. Maybe all of you are like, yeah, we heard that many times, Jake. You're, you're, you're a little behind. It was the first time, it was like, you know, you can read something, but then the Holy Spirit grabs you and goes, and it's like that revelation finally settles, goes beyond just logic, repeating after someone, it's that spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, that the eyes of our heart would be open to know the hope he's called us to. And I recognize that Abram's father had set his heart to go to Canaan, and that before getting to Canaan, I can't even remember the location he, he landed at, Haran. It says, he arrived there and he settled. 
And I had to wonder, was it not his destiny to just get to Canaan? And what would it have looked like? But it took 450 years of wandering, of wandering and, 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 and travail and, and suffering and difficulty for the people to inherit that land. All because of a settling that a father did and even brought him to a good place. And I, what I hope happens is that this generation just refuses to settle. If this generation refuses to embrace the comforts of the day, refuses to finally get into a place of enjoyment in God and say, We're, this is okay, we can, we can live in this realm, and to say, Father God, if this isn't where you've called us to settle, we're pressing it, we're going further, we're gonna keep moving. Lord God, we're not gonna stop until you tell us to stop. We're gonna tremble at your word. We're not gonna listen to man's word. We're not gonna listen to man tell us how to market the move of God, how to manipulate the anointing. I watched that Jesus Revolution movie and it, it just, it struck something in me that said, Jake, even in the midst of everything that God's doing right now with Overland Missions, I mean, we could sit back right now and tell the story of the Kings for the rest of our lives. We can write the books, we can market it, I can get invited to all the conferences and share and, and wow and move people. It's all there. I don't want it. I don't want it. If it's not him, if it's not his utmost, if it's not all, if it's not going to bring him the glory, the honor, and the praise, Lord God, take it away. Let us be obscure. Let us be your remnant. Let us be your holy, undefiled, set-apart tribe that he will use time and again to shake nations, to shake people. But it's going to require a defiance in us and a love for the pure and undefiled, a longing for the courts of the Lord as they are, not as we define them to be. It's gonna require a holiness under the Lord, a set-apartness that doesn't look like the rest of the world. But the payout is his glory, is his standard, is his kingdom, his way. I'll ask the team to play some worship. And before Lauren jumps up there, I want to pray for you, Lauren. So just come, come here for a minute. Get the rest of the team to come and just. But I, I. So many times when I come into a meeting, I the Lord just starts to highlight certain individuals, and it's not about promotion or demotion. I'm not going to preach what I just preached and suddenly promote someone. But um, thank you, Lord. We honor you, Jesus. We lift you up. We know your word says if you will be lifted up, you'll draw all men unto you. Lord, I'm just thankful for, for the the for what I see in Lauren, for, for the sincerity and the authenticity in her life right now. Lord, I just pray for the fire of God to touch her life, to fill her, Lord, with a wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you that goes far beyond anything she's dreamt or hoped for. Give her eyes that see and ears that hear, Lord God, and let her walk in the intensity of your appeal for the nations and the intensity of your longings, and God, let her be an expression of all that you are, your standard, your way, and nothing less. Father, let her never settle. Let her never pull up short at an offer of fame or comfort. Just thank you, Lord, for that desperation, God, that you set in us, Lord, that it would never leave that yearning and longing. But I thank you, God, for faith and understanding. We position ourselves in an undignified way to say, this is who I am because God says it. 
This is what I will do because God says it. Father, even now, I just pray you grab a hold of her. And I thank you, Lord, for the volume of heaven, for the torrents of heaven, Lord, for the sound of heaven, for the thunderings and the lightnings, Lord God, for all that you are, for her to be an expression, a radical representation of you, Lord God, and her song and her character and her movements, Lord God, filled with all the fullness of God, filled, equipped, To live out the standard of heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just worship the Lord. And I just want to invite, if there's anyone here, and you just have that, you have that yearning, that longing, I, I just want you to come up. We want to pray for you today. Lord, I just thank you for that authentic groan that only you can place in us when we make ourselves wholeheartedly available. I pray, God, that today you would confront every idol that is not of you, every hindrance to love, every hindrance to wholeheartedness, that you radically confront it. And Father God, by your authority and by your power, Lord God, that you bring it to its ultimate end in our lives, Lord God, that we can run in your rest, in your peace, in your power. I thank you, Lord God, that with radical desperation will become radical displays of power and authority on this earth. Radical displays of love, radical displays of giving of oneself. And it will draw in radical amounts of resource. Lord, we give ourselves to you, Jesus. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll-free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.